And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 98 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, September 28th, 2015. Well, it's been Pope Week here in the United States. Pope here, Pope there, Pope here, Pope here, Pope everywhere a Pope pops up. That's right. Pope Francis visited the United States this last week amid a throng of oddly obsessive media coverage and downright rock star status. He's returned to Rome today just minutes before we recorded this, in fact, and on the plane back he was giving reporters his first impression of Americans, and he said he was surprised by the warmth of the reception. I think we're all just looking for somebody other than Trump to look at behind a lectern. But he was also surprised by the different reactions he got in different cities. I'm not even making this up. He was interviewed and he said, Washington, D.C. was warm but formal. I'm guessing you didn't see John Boehner crying like a little baby during his speech. New York, in his words, was a bit exuberant. Yo, Pope, you want a slice? And Philadelphia. This one's my absolute favorite, Philadelphia. The Pope said of Philadelphia, very demonstrative. Yeah, anybody who's been to an Eagles game knows what um, demonstrative means. Sorry, Philly, I'm just being demonstrative. Anyway, of course, with the Pope coming to town, so did the marketers in their attempt at newsjacking the event. There were blogs. Oh, there were blogs. The titles were classic. Just a few at random here and again. These are all real. Pope Francis is giving these brands a huge marketing boost, or the Pope versus Wall Street, or how about what can business marketers learn from the Pope? Yes, it really happened. And this one, marketing lessons from the Pope's New York visit, and why Pope Francis wants you to stop chasing likes on Facebook. I'm not even making it up. And yes, I promise this one actually exists, the Pope is Hope and the other dope agency campaigns. So not to be outdone, we're going to try our own little bit of newsjacking here of biblical proportions. A little late, of course, but here at PNR, we are here to bring you the diocese of content marketing, the papal mass of digital marketing, native advertising goodness, and all that makes you feel one with the spirit of content. Some rants that'll make you feel like you need to be cleansed, some raves that'll make you feel like you just got blessed by the Holy Father himself. So let's get our Pope mobile on the road here, put on our best white robe, sit down in our plain chairs, and choose wisely from our cup of content marketing. Yeah, that's a Raiders reference. Anyway, to help me get this show going, it's my friend, my co-host, my colleague, the primate of Cleveland, the bishop of epic, epic content, and the vicar of content, the supreme pontiff of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? The diocese of content marketing. I <laughs> absolutely love That's my favorite. Uh, uh, how are I you, I thought sir? you might like that one. I'm doing, I'm doing well. It's a bit of a... I'm in New York, and so... I'm a traveling fiend today. It feels like it's been planes, trains, and automobiles for me all day, but uh, I, I'm doing well. You know, I'm hanging in there. You know, it's late Eastern time as we record this, and uh, I had eight interviews that I did today, which is, by the way, is fantastic. I'm not complaining, but I found out that seven was my limit. and uh, <laughs> the eighth, seven, is, seven is where you hit the, the wall. The eighth kind of went off the rails. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God. I, if I had, yes, content, ink, uh, ink model, six steps, I'm just like, oh, it's... 
But it, but it's better than nothing. By the end, were you going? I hope you find my shoes. <laughs> I need my shoes. Where's, where's my glasses? I'm, I'm off a clamp. Yeah, it, it was. Uh. It was just. But it was one of those days. But I'm glad. Uh, you know, we just seem to find the time every week. I don't know how we do it. It's going to be crazy though. The next couple of weeks, as you and I are traveling to. It is going to be absolutely nutty. Yeah, thing. I mean, but that's how much we care. That this is. is how much we care. That is. We we ab- absolutely come to the table for. Our listeners i don't know if they appreciate us enough but uh no, they do we <laughs> I think love they you. do we absolutely oh we absolutely all. love you all right well shall we to the let's news let's do this yes absolutely okay so our top story here is scribble live that wonderful little company just north of the border raises 35 million dollars here at folks go uh, go hit them up now they got some money to spend on some stuff in expansion round funding, this comes to us from MarketWire.com, which is a press release, of course. Scribble Live, the quote-unquote global leader in digital content marketing, is excited to announce the closing of its expansion round of funding from Open Text Enterprise Apps, which led the $35 million investment, along with contributions from Emerion Capital, Blue Cloud Ventures, Northleaf Venture Catalyst Fund, and a large U.S.-based asset manager. I love that sort of, that last one. A large U.S.-based asset, say, they, who chooses to remain anonymous, I guess, um, along with participation from all existing Scribble Live Ventures investors, including Roger Sides. This is a whole list of people, so there's a lot of people involved in this investment. And uh, it, what do you, so what do you think about this? Is this just, you know, is this, uh, is this something of note, or are we just seeing yet more venture money move into this market? Well, I, th- I mean, I, I congratulations to to Scribble yeah, Live, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, you know, we've been watching their progress as we go. But you know, it's interesting as I went to the site and we were checking out the uh, the news announcements. They have a little sub micro site here. I don't know if you've seen it called Say No to Ads. So it says it, it's right on their page as you go through it because it was the announcement, and then right. right below it was say no to ads. And of course, it okay. says so marketers are turning to content marketing instead to drive results. People are more likely to summit Mount Everest than click on an ad. See the full research. I just, I mean, I, you know, how can you not cover that? <laughs> right. Of course, um, I'm looking for uh, what would you rather do? That, what, and then they ask marketing influencers, what would you rather do than be interrupted by an ad? So they go through a lot of our friends are in there, by the way. And yeah, Haley, no, right on the cover oh, here. Yeah. I'd listen to this. Ad says, I'd rather listen to Kanye West talk about how awesome Kanye West is than be interrupted by an ad. <laughs> go, you See, go, that's Ann. Good. That's cute. You go, girl. Yeah, that's Absolutely. cute. No, I, I mean, like that. It's, it's what we've been always talking about. I mean, I, I did an interview today for uh, Advertising Age, and they were talking about the, you know, what's with all the money going on. And I honestly said, hey, I've been in this industry for 15, 16 years now. I've never seen so much money coming to the table and and it feels like we always say this is just the start but this is just the continuation of more to come and i'm sure there'll be another one next week i i think there will be i think there will be and i and and i dare say i mean i think we said it a couple of shows ago where we looked at 2016 as sort of the year it all starts coming together when we start seeing the acquisitions the mergers the sort of everything come due I think we're going to start seeing it next year because I think that's really when we when we're going to start seeing that those first rounds of companies that got money in 2011 
um, are you know those five year sort of venture funds are going to come around and they're, people are going to be looking for an exit. So I think we're going to see a lot of acquisitions in the next twelve to eighteen. Yeah, months. it's interesting how broad the content marketing field is getting. We are digital. <laughs> right. I, I mean, mean, like, <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody's in digital content marketing today. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Scott Bricker's going to have his hands full because that little content marketing <laughs> box is going to explode over the next year. <laughs> I sell chickens, but really, what we're in is digital content that's, marketing. That's exactly right. Back. <laughs> Backyard chicken sales. Here we go. Content marketing platform. Content marketing and chickens. Hey. And Swiffer pads. Okay. So congratulations to the exactly. Scribble Eye folks. Some good folks up there. And um, and I know a few folks at the uh, at Open Text. And I know that's a really interesting that's a really interesting company. And that it wouldn't surprise me if eighteen months from now we're talking about Open Text's newest acquisition. But uh, but I digress. There you go. All right, so this next story comes to us from three different sources. We're pairing three. I guess pairing is not the right word. We're tripling three stories together and to talk about because if anything about last week told us anything, it was the week of ad blocker. Like every story out there was something about ad blockers. When I, I did a couple of interviews, I don't know if you've been asked this by reporters and other bloggers and stuff, but it seems like every – interview I was doing for a speaking engagement or for the book or something like that, everybody wanted to talk to me about, what do you think about ad blockers, ad blockers, ad blockers, ad blockers. And so the first, and I'm going to run through the three stories really quickly, so have a little patience with me, and then, Joe, I want to get your take on this, which is the first comes to us from Vox.com, which is the ad blocking controversy explained, which talks about how the internet is suddenly awash in commentary about all the ad blocking and ad blockers. And it really is an explainer, a quite long explainer of what's going on in the ad blocking world. Really good article, I thought. They actually mentioned in that article this uh, article called Welcome to Hell. Apple versus Google versus Facebook and the slow death of the web, which uh, is on TheVerge.com, which actually talks about how you might think the conversation is about ad blocking and about the user experience of news. But what we're really talking about is money and power in Silicon Valley and how basically Facebook and Apple are punching each other in the mouth and Google is sitting back punching both of them in the mouth and this is all a fight to the death and blah, blah, blah. And then the last article, which is really just fascinating, is to me anyway, is this article from Digiday, actually, which talks about how Google is matching Facebook's targeting capability. So Google apparently is about to give brands, and this is going to be launched today. I was on the train, so I don't actually know if they did actually announce this. But they said they were going to announce it today that at Adweek, um, talking about how the new program will let advertisers import their customers into Google – and market to those audiences across Gmail, Search, and YouTube. So you can basically take your customer list, give it to Google, and basically they'll compare it to their Gmail lists and start marketing and programmatically serving up ads, I guess, to them. What do you think about all this, Joe, this ad blocker nonsense and all of this stuff going on? Honestly, well, I have a couple takes on it, but I've honestly never seen so much passion over advertising as we've seen. (laughs) It's been a while, for sure. I mean, with with the movement we've been talking about, obviously, to own media platforms, there's still this fervor around advertising and people just don't want to let go of it. There's a couple of issues uh, in the Vox. And a a couple of people are really – siding with basically saying if you block ads basically expect the content to suck because nobody's going to be paying for it I anymore. don't get I mean, that. There's some, there's a, yeah, it's really interesting. It's like, it's like well, why do you, are you blaming – I mean you should look at the business model. I mean is it, is it really 
are we really that short-sighted in in the advertising in the publishing world that we can't create really amazing content that's not supported by ads? I mean, seriously, that's really what I mean. You you've seen it in the in the one that's uh, Facebook versus Google versus Apple. You know, there's a couple tweets in there that are rather angry, and it's like, well, j- what are you doing when you block ads? You know, you're you're hurting all these journalists and their careers. Like, yeah, it. Oh, I mean, okay. it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing to me how many of them are sort of uh, how much, as you said, passion or vitriol is getting sort of just, just. I mean, people are really annoyed by this. It, it's it's fast. I did not expect this kind of reaction. Well, it's like. Uh, you you have to. It's almost like what, you, you have to keep using telephones, uh, landline telephones, because you're you know you're hurting all those people that work behind the lines. Or you really have to ride the railroad and not take a plane, because because you know you have to support the rail lines. I mean, like, are seriously that that's where we're going? Um, yeah. The the interesting thing <laughs> in the. In the uh, in the Vox, the first Vox article, actually, The Verge is owned by Vox, which I forgot about. But you know, there, there are two actual Vox Media articles. But the the one that was talking about the advertising spend over time, I thought was fascinating. That the percent of advertising, as a percent of GDP, advertising has literally yeah. not changed for seventy years. You know, that's in my ROI talk that I gave at Content Marketing World. What's your take on that? I mean, well, how do you yeah, use I, that? I, I I basically talked about the fact – so when I'm talking about ROI, I, I talk about the – and this is the, this is the blog post that I, I, I somehow miscommunicated because the comments were like, well, anyway, I won't get into that. But the, 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 uh, the whole idea of the talk is basically we have been talking in regular campaign-based marketing about ROI for too long. We just need to get out of that mindset. Because it's not an investment. It's a. It's so. Therefore, you do not get a return on it. You get an effectiveness of spend. In other words, I, my dollar can go further on a spent on an expenditure for campaign-based marketing, and I can make that dollar go further. But I'm not going to get a return on investment. Instead, I talk about content marketing and how it actually is a return on investment because it actually is investing in an asset of the company. And what I do when I talk about this is how. Uh, how bad we are actually at measurement holistically um, that the access to data has not made us any better at marketing and I use the television uh, advertising as an example I say basically look you know we've been we, we spent 79 billion dollars on TV ads and yet we're basing it off Nielsen ratings which is five thousandths of a percent and it would be like Literally, if you if your website gets a hundred thousand visitors, it would be basing your entire television ad budget on what the last five people did. And when so we don't need big data to make big decisions. And even when we have big data, it hasn't made us any smarter. And if it did, we, you would think we would be pouring money into marketing and advertising, but we don't. And that's when I show the chart of the advertising over the last hundred years where quite literally we have not – it's never gone above 2% of GDP in the history uh, of marketing and advertising. It's just it, – it is all independent of how confident we feel about the economy or how confident we feel about our ability to assume data and get better at it. We just have always put about the same amount of money into marketing and advertising. Well, that's why – thank you for the point. That's fantastic. Of course, you're brilliant and you know this, right? Oh, good lord. <laughs> 
You're so smart. <laughs> um, but the one, the interesting thing in the article after they they look at that chart and the advertising not being over two percent basically says so. What's interesting is with all the changes we've had in technology and different advertising outlets over the past seventy years plus and different ways we're communicating. Basically, what he says is it. The, the author says is. It doesn't matter because it's going to go to some other advertising. Right. But it's not going to increase. It's just going to move around. It's just going to move. The dollars are going to move somewhere else. That's exactly right. And that's the history of, you know, and they go through how radio, that that happened with radio. It happened with television. It's happened with cable TV. It's happened with the internet. It's, we're we're just moving the dollars around. We're not actually spending any more. So it's just interesting. If you look at the first two articles, it says, okay, uh, let's say they're not in, you know, display ads as we know them and basically goes on and says the winner is going to be native in some way so does this mean that the advert digital advertising of the future with all the ad blocking and whatever else is going to go on really does become and look feel and look like content because then the the programmatics and the ad blockers cannot tell so ultimately, whether that's really good informational content or whether it is, you know, I'm pitching a product and service content, just because it looks like content and it feels like content and not an ad, that's going to be the advertising we're going to see over the next five years. I think you're right. And I think it's going to look a lot like, you know, and the example they give is is not, to be honest, not dissimilar from how we have advertising on this show. You know, where it's embedded right into the mm-hmm. content, it's not programmatic in any, it's human driven, and it's part of the content, and it's, you know, it's clearly called out. And it's one of those things where I think the human, somebody asked me uh, over email, one of the many questions about ad blockers I got this week was basically, do you think native advertising is going to go the same way? And I said, well, only if it goes programmatic. Because as soon as a publisher decides to go programmatic with native ads and get efficient about serving up multiple, basically multiple articles in a singular piece of screen real estate, well, by nature, by inherently, they're going to have to code that in some way, which of course can be, you know, as soon as you code it and tag That's it right. in a particular way consistently, now you can program an ad blocker or content blocker, as they're called on uh, on iOS now, basically to block that content, and so. If it's part of the normal experience and it's just piece, you know, the, then the ad blockers won't and, and that's the real – so that's going to be the real conundrum for publishers coming up here going forward is how are they act- – and, and I think interestingly it will be a differentiator. You know, if I'm a publisher going to a media company and I'm looking for a media buy, I'm going to say, hey, listen, we we hand code all this stuff. That's it's, right. This is not going to be – We're going old school, be baby. Blocked. Yeah, we're going old school, <laughs> right? We hand we handcraft every ad. Yeah, so it's going to – no, it's interesting. So it's going to go – of course, native is going to see more and more action. So we've t- been talking about that. So you got native advertising. You've got pure sponsorships. I think that's what you're talking about, like we do on this show, like they use in the example. It's just – it's a sponsorship. It's embedded into the, the article itself or in the programming of some kind. So great. And then the third thing that they talk about, which I don't think gets enough play, is that embedded advertising inside a mobile app, which is, of course, what fuels Snapchat, which, of course, uh, fuels, uh, you know, your Facebook ads inside somebody else's application where – of course, you know, Apple, of course, they come out with, oh, here's the new iOS 9. We're going to put the ad blocker (laughs) in. But on our news – there's no blocking on that news, so you can advertising away, advertise away on there, which is right. It's just part of the uh, the second article that you know the Google and Apple and Facebook are all 
you know, trying to kill each other, which is an interesting article. Right. I, I, and I think, I, but I think it's overplayed. I, I don't think, I, I honestly don't think they're sitting there sort of thinking, well, let's introduce this and punch Facebook in the mouth. I, I just don't think they're, you know, I, I don't, I mean, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive and, 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 and they really are sort of that, you know, that basically villainous where they're, where they're really trying to actively damage each other's business. But I, I, I don't see that. I see it much more as a reaction to their own way of competing. You know, like basically I look at Apple's ad block, basically looking at one is their inability and, Anybody who's been on their iPhone and or the desktop has long suffered Apple's inability to deal with Flash. You know, so and you've had browsers crash, you have your computers crash, your phone crashes, and quite frankly, the inability for them to deal with ads and ad servers is making the web unusable. And so if the only reason they're doing it is, quite frankly, to say, you know what, we need content to be – we need the web to be usable to sustain our business model, that's the reason they're doing it. Oh, and by the way, it's also hurting Google and or Facebook along the way. I don't think they think like that. It's But what, what interests me – you're right. They're, they're probably having you know, little meetings behind all three of them together. It's like, ooh, little, <laughs> right, little right. Dr. Evil meeting. Ooh, yes. ah, yeah, if there's a conspiracy, it's the other way around, I think. Exactly. Yeah. I think they're all against <laughs> But I, knew, I realized this, but I didn't uh, remember it until I read the, the Google, Apple, Facebook article that ta- – I mean – Talk about an incestuous relationship here that, that's going on. And we don't even think about what's going on with the money that happens Google back and forth. Where, you know, you, you go to Google, you see, you know, whatever search you go for, you see ads to the right or to the top. Let's say you click on an article and, and Google wants, you know, publishers' articles to be found and they're serving themselves because if you go to almost any major site and they talk about, whether it's BuzzFeed or The Verge or ESPN, they're all using DoubleClick for Publishers, which is owned right. by Google. So Google's getting money off of that one. So it, I just remember the days when you know, I was working for a publisher and we were like, oh, no, no, we, we don't want to do this Google thing. Well, everybody's in bed with Google now. I mean, Google is running the entire – and so that's, that's where I think you've got Zuckerberg thinking, all right, well, Google has you – know, they've got all the dollars on this chain outside of Facebook. How can I get it all inside Facebook? Right. So unless they're That's all exactly having right. that little meeting together and just trying to figure out how to dominate the world, <laughs> which is probably happening. Yes. Well, and that – so, I mean, on the flip side of that, to the last article where we talked about, you know, Google's – that was a fascinating Yeah, you liked this me one. Because What's your take I on did. this one? Well, it's really interesting to me that Google is – you know, so just to refresh, Google's about to give you a way to target your own customers with ads across its all the different Google platforms. So to your point, right, you know, all those – when you see all those retargeting ads across any of the Google properties, YouTube, et cetera – now what you're going to be able to do, apparently, is basically take your entire customer list, upload it to Google, and they will look and match everybody they can in their database, which you have to imagine is relatively large, and and start serving them basically based on your preferences. I want to target these people with this ad. And, man, is that a powerful thing across Google's entire Nine, ad network. 900 million accounts. I mean – yeah, so I mean it's not it's not a, not a small number, 
I mean, so think about the power of you know one of the one of the challenges, of course, of programmatic it, it, when we think about using explicit customer lists is the idea of all of the consumer. You know, like you've had like the Bizzo and LinkedIn, and you've had you know all the different ways to do targeting on business lists, which are always really exclusive because of the unique identifier of the you know sort of domain and the email address, et cetera. One of the big challenges in B2B is, of course, has always been sort of, well, the Gmail or Yahoo or those kinds of accounts. Well, now what you've got is basically a, B2, a B2C business that has lots and lots of Gmails in their customer lists can now start targeting ads very, very, very explicitly and in a very targeted way to those consumers who are, you know, ostensibly just on Gmail because it's free. And man, is that a, it's a it's a powerful thing for a for a marketer for sure. Do you think and just kind of brings bringing this all together, do you think there's an opportunity for brands that are creating content that literally have no advertising on it? Where there's where this is backlash against advertising, where if you really can, whether it's a, it's a you know a brand that sells products or services, or where, whether it's a new media company that says we just don't have any sponsorship, we monetize through selling these products or services, or through donation or something else, but you don't have to worry about any advertising on any platform hitting you in the face. I mean, do you think that that's an opportunity at this point with this backlash, or do you think that we're just going to see this continued bickering over? You know, I, advertising this and native of that, and it's just going to go on and on and on. Well, I do think it's an opportunity, though. If I were so, as an example of that, we can look at you know, so Thrillist bought um, Jack's Threads, yeah, and so we could look at that and say, okay, well, that's really interesting. They could theoretically kill all the advertising and not, you know, and and, and but I don't know if if I was a publisher, I guess I don't know that I would right at this moment. I, I, I guess I see it as an opportunity, but I don't see it as a requirement. I wouldn't do it just yet. I wouldn't, you know, as soon as it, I, I don't know. It's a really good well, question. Well, I don't think actually, the publisher because- has to turn. I, I guess what I'm saying is if I, if I was going to launch, there's a better business model out there, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if you're going to launch a news platform, why do you, or a, a media platform of some way, try to build an audience over time, could you just go to market and say, we're not going to look at that revenue channel of advertising? We're going to look at these other five or these other six that are available instead of that. Well, I think – so the, the answer to that is, of course, that's an opportunity. Now, the, the real question is, is anybody going to sort of do it? Well, it seems to me, at least it, from, at least from the, other, the articles, if you really read all the articles in depth, they talk about how this, uh, these advertising blockers that are going to be going on and on and have gone on and on, and maybe we're making a bigger deal out of it because Apple made this bigger deal out of it, that it's really going to hurt the smaller publishers. Because the smaller publishers that are just getting going that don't want to hire a sales force, they they inserted programmatic right into that that they could work and programmatic ads are going to get blocked. I guess according to I think it's the all said that seventy five yeah. to eighty five percent of the advertising they serve is going to be blocked under this. Right. So that's a that's a startup, and I think that's what's really that could be a bigger issue where you've got a lot of these really innovative media companies out there that are trying to figure out their business model, and they went the first thing they went to is oh of course well we can do advertising just like the first yeah you know, it's like we all put Google ads on our site when we started our blogs you know, <laughs> <Right>. same exactly <laughs> same right. kind of thing <laughs> and affiliate links Google exactly. ads and affiliate that's links. what we're gonna do <laughs> we're all gonna be back in the affiliate game that's the way to go oh that's good. It's- you know, it was funny. I close out that talk I was talking about earlier. I close it out when I basically I talk about exactly that about 
the how much you know the, the IAB estimates I think it is and some of the other estimates to say that you know 50% of ads are going to go unviewed because they're blocked or just browser issues etc cetera, etc cetera. and the the funny thing to me and this is what I say at the end of the talk is like we're all the way back to the 1800s when John Wanamaker That's said, right. basically, I know that half my advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. You could just update that quote to 2015 and say, John Wanamaker says, I know half my ads are blocked. I just don't know which half. That's so good. <laughs> you you got to do you got to do put that together. We got to get a blog post out there on that. Real real short one with an image done. Yeah, there you go. All right, shall we move on Let's to the next on. story yeah. here? Oh, okay, so enough of the ad blocking technology here. Let's look at our friends at Facebook. So uh, another story where we're going to pair two of these things together because Facebook's launched a couple of new things here. Um, The first article comes to us from Digiday, uh, and it is the newest thing. Facebook launches 360-degree videos. I don't know that this has a terrible meaning for marketers because guess what? You don't have the technology to make this happen for you. But it is really an interesting new technology. It's basically making their Oculus Rift investment do something. Um, They have finally unveiled their 360-degree videos to the public with panoramic videos from Star Wars, Vice, NBC Saturday Night Live, LeBron James, yay for Joe, uh, and GoPro. Um, Basically, you don't need the clunky piece of headgear. You can basically look at this stuff on your browser and create these videos with a special set of cameras, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? They don't work on iOS. <laughs> they don't of work on they, Apple. And so they, they might <laughs> never work on iOS. Right. Exactly. So there you go. Facebook punching Mac in the mouth again or in a little time. What, what's the what's the long – is there a long-term play? I'm trying to figure out what the long-term play is. I mean you and I have talked about the Oculus purchase for whatever billions of dollars that you know Facebook bought them for. But what's the ultimate end game? Is it is it like – uh, it, they're just getting is like Google, where you're just getting into you know every market on the planet uh, and trying to figure out how to monetize it later. And I mean, what are they what are they doing here? Do you have a take? Well, I think I think yeah, I think my my take is is that this is just a this is one of those let's do a stunt and you know this is this is basically the same as Amazon saying we're going to have drones you know deliver your packages right. So this is not happening in any time soon, but it's an interest. It makes it gets a lot of press. It gets people talking. They get people showing Facebook on TV. So it's an earned media play, I think. Um, but I think ultimately the end game here, quite frankly, you know, the funny thing is when I first saw this, I thought it was a continuation of that thing that they launched on was a couple of months ago where if you're a validated person, like if you get the little blue check, but do you, by the way, did you get the little blue check? I have not done it. I've not done it yet. It's on my list of things I got to check out. I have not done it yet. Cause you've got to submit it with your driver's license or uh, your passport or something like that. And I, Oh, you, anybody can do it. I didn't know it was anybody. Could I think do it. I, I no, you, you have to, you have to be a, some, you know, a, a sports star, media star. You have to be Joe Polizzi. I mean, we, yes, we you have sort to be of, Joe Polizzi. We are sort of author. We fit in the author bucket, you know, cranky to some bucket i don't know how you know, i don't know how they do this stuff but i mean it's worth a shot i'm gonna see because yeah. i got the note about doing the facebook mentions thing which we talked about that's what, the video yeah thing, that's right? the video that's thing what, that's, yeah, so that's, that's what i thought this was a continuation of you cannot do the mentions thing until you get the the check mark right exactly that's it and that's that's that to me is the more interesting one of this you know obviously so i thought this was a continuation of that um, and so we'll see. We'll see. I think it's really just their attempt because there was another article that we actually didn't cover uh, this week um, about Facebook, how they're actually going after old school media buyers 
with like television language, right? They're going after, they're really starting to introduce this idea of video and the internet, but they're using things like day parts and languages that old school media buyers would, would use. That's and so smart. I, yeah, I think they're trying to basically look at Facebook as the next television. Well, I mean, I think that's smart. I mean, I think we had some conversations this week that if you're going to communicate to an audience, you speak in ways and language that the audience understands. <laughs> exactly. And if they understand the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the, the communication around television buying, then that's right. how you talk to them. You don't say, yes. oh, we're going to hold – this is how we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it over – no, you don't do that. You meet them where they're at. So that's super that's smart right. on their part. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so and then it's paired with this other. I guess this came out a couple of weeks ago, um, and this comes to us directly from Facebook.com and their press release. Facebook launches Signal, which is a way for journalists to gather news without Twitter. And the article starts off by saying Facebook has announced Signal, a free discovery and curation platform that journalists can use to see what's trending on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, available only on the desktop for now. Its main purpose is to make the news gathering process easier. And I saw this and went and looked at it actually, and it's neat. I mean, it's 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 pretty cool. And the, my first thought was, wow, there's a lot of these small software that some of them who've gotten money, who basically do this and charge money for it, are really going to be like, uh, yeah, we need to. I, I mean, did you did you have that feeling too that there was like a lot of curation platforms that are going, wow, this is this is about to get free and we're still charging for it. No, when I saw it, the first thing I thought was, or I heard, I think way out in the distance were the Twitter executives crying. I think (laughs) that's that's pretty much what I heard. That I think is a big issue because it looks like from this standpoint is that if you're a journalist, you're, you're a heavy, heavy user of Twitter. And they're like, come on over here. We'll give you some amazing data. And let's just keep all these stories inside Facebook. And this is how we're going to yeah. do it. So that's what I thought. I don't know if there's anything to that. But that's the immediate – my immediate reaction was around, uh-oh, Twitter. You know, you're in, you're in trouble because I agree with you. This is some pretty compelling data they're putting together. It's 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 pretty interesting. I mean I'm going to get in and dig in a little bit. and, and But I think it's – for those that are looking to sort of capture zeitgeist and, and sort of understand what the world is talking about – to sort of help them figure out what they need to be putting out there from a content perspective. This isn't just for journalists. This is for basically anybody who really wants to get into here and dig around a little bit. It's fascinating. Yeah, actually. watch it be a paid service at some point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah probably. Dangle it is free. Then we'll, we're going to charge them later. You know, just Absolutely. like that. I can't. Uh, just a little side note. I'm scrolling around Facebook right before I'm waiting for you to get to, get to the hotel so we could do this thing. And uh, the the whole that whole meme is going around about oh facebook you are not going to share oh my god if i see that again the people are people are still following for this uh it's like how many times are we gonna do this where they put the big block of text according to article xyz and whatever that you cannot use now here's the thing facebook can do whatever they want with your content because you are using it on their platform so exactly. don't cite anything right. if you don't right. want something to be misused don't put it on facebook please <laughs> anyways you agree to it the minute you clicked okay create account well that's the issue I, and i was on another one of my eight interviews today and we were talking about social media and it's like okay well what, what do we what should marketers do on platforms like facebook and twitter and linkedin and whatever and i said here's what i would do i would get up and you and i've talked about this i would get up every day and just be prepared that 
Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and whatever other social media platforms you're on will not exist that day. Or they will not give you access to any of your connections and any of your content. Because if you prepare for it that way, I think you're your mindset is in the right place because they're, they're, those connections are theirs. They're That's not right. yours. They're theirs. <laughs> That's right. Just bar- they're just letting you borrow them until they change their minds. That's this. Off so well, speak- <laughs> Speaking of – exactly. Speaking of connections and value, we have a lovely new sponsor to talk we about. We absolutely do. And uh, we are happy to, to uh, welcome our friends. Happy. That, ha- we're ex- ex- excited, exhilarated. This is fantastic. We're exuberant to welcome uh, the great folks at Brandpoint uh, for Woo-hoo. their sponsoring for our next month's podcast. So we're super dun, dun, happy dun, dun, to dun, have them. You know what's interesting is we usually have some kind dun, of special dun, dun, giveaway, uh, you know, ebook, uh, a webinar, or something like that. Research. They have got a really interesting blog post that they want to share with the community. It's called num- Snackable. It, Snackable, if you will. It's a long really? snack. It's a oh, long, it is. It is. It's, right. not a, it's not a short snack. It's a long snack, and it's got some interesting research. So let me go through it a little bit. So it's from Brandpoint. It's called Numbers Crunch, Number Crunch, How a Content Marketing Platform Saves Time and Money. So they basically go through this little bit of research about, you know, if, if you do an analysis of workflow time plus cost comparison without or with using a content marketing platform in general, like how long does a project, a typical 600-word blog post project take? And it's really sort of interesting to look at, first of all, if you don't have a content marketing platform or any kind of content marketing collaboration system, it's really interesting to see all the steps involved. And by the way, there's a lot of email. <laughs> right. Email back and forth, approval, whatever, and they talk about how a content marketing platform can save you time and energy, and it's just interesting, and by the end of this, it'll save you thousands and thousands of dollars. And I just like the rationale uh, that went with this, so that this was, was super interesting, um, so really thankful for, for them to do this, and I actually have to, and this is just from you know me being completely tired, I don't have the short link right now. Here's the short link. <laughs> this is how awesome this is how awesome this show is because you never know what's gonna happen. I couldn't find the short link. Now I have it. The short the short link. <laughs> awesome. uh, here's the short link is bit.ly slash brandpoint hub. So bit.ly slash brandpoint hub and you are going to get direct access to this. Uh, wonderful blog post, Number Crunch, How a Content Marketing Platform Saves Time and Money. Thanks to our good friends at Brandpoint for Thank sponsoring you to Brandpoint. this episode. And for I, the comedy <laughs> and for the And they're for immediately the going to take their money back after I just destroyed that one. But super That's thankful just to have a new sponsor. so great. So thankful. Thank you so much to Brandpoint. It's such a great, <laughs> great comedy bit. Oh, I don't have the link. All right. <laughs> All right. Get past it is 30 Eastern time, man. Ex- oh, it's all bets are off, folks. Yeah, all bets are yeah, off. Exactly. Well, it is your for your favorite part of the show, folks. It's our segment of Rants and Raves, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us feel like we've been blessed by the Pope or something that makes us feel like we're going to raise some hell. And so I'm going first, You're I guess, first. because I have this old marketing thank go- this week. Thank goodness for that, yes. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I actually can find it. So I have very two short, very uh, short v- raves this week. Um, the first one comes from uh, roberthalf.com. So you might know them, Joe, as the, uh, the folks who do all sorts of wonderful employment services and, and those sorts of things. Um, they produce the Robert Half Salary Guide every year. Um, and, uh, and in full disclosure, they are a client and have, uh, and have done a little bit of work with, uh, with Content Marketing Institute in the past. And big hat tip here to Doug White over there for sending this on to me because they just did a survey um, on projected salaries uh, that were going to rise in 2016. And as the article starts out, it says starting salaries for creative and marketing professionals are projected to increase an average of 3.8% in the coming year. So if you're in marketing or you're in a creative, congratulations, you just got a 3.8% raise. So yay. Um, Demand is often outpacing supply, they say, when it comes to top creative talent, especially in the digital space. Um, And marketers are especially in demand. And then you want to know the number one? Content strategists, they're forecast to receive an 8.1% bump in base compensation with an average starting salary ranging from $77,500 to $109,000. So if you're looking for a career move, content strategy is a really interesting one because Seventy-five to a hundred grand is no chicken feed. I don't think I That's would qualify, stuff. though. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would. We, I don't know. I'll so anyway, I just wanted to shout that out because that's a it's a great. Well, of course, put the link in the show notes so you can go over and read the post about right. all the different jobs that are getting raises. Just a wonderful, wonderful um, news, and just something I wanted to rave about is that content strategy looking very high. The second rave that I have actually comes it's a little bit of a i guess it's a rave of, of kinds it's just something i want to give a shout out to it's this it's from the observer.com and it's a little bit of a continuation of what i was talking about last week about how advertising even if it's advertising doesn't have to be so bland we've gotten into this rut with creative and digital where the banner ad is the banner ad and it's now even reached to the point where you see tv ads and print ads and billboards actually resembling digital banner ads and i just think a lot of the creativity is gone. But this article actually goes through and says advertising doesn't have to irritate, intrude, lie, cheat, or generally suck. And it's a pretty interesting article, actually. It's a nice little rant, if you will, where it goes and talks about all of the virtues that advertising used to have and then goes through this sort of listicle of the top 10 reasons that advertising currently sucks. They bang on a little bit about native advertising and why they think native advertising is horrible. I might differ a little bit on that. But basically, I like the article a lot. And there was one paragraph that I wanted to give the particular shout out to. And it's when he says that it's that it's in this idea that in new oil and media is not content or distribution, but data. And he will say, no, it's actually value, value in trusted relationships. And if marketing and media are built on knowing and serving customers' needs, then they will be welcome and efficient. And I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, and it's something that as we start thinking about how advertising itself has to evolve, it's how marketing is going to evolve. And we can get out of this, just to your earlier point, Joe, we can get out of this idea of and look at the opportunity of new business models if we're publishers and new marketing models if we're marketers. I was in this client just Yesterday, actually, I was in a or uh, uh, or today rather, it's Monday, with a client, 
and we were going through the content marketing strategy for this particular client, and we started talking, and I was talking to the CMO there about this idea of building these content experiences, this new you know, new marketing muscle for the organization, building these owned media properties that would basically sit at very strategic parts of the buyer's journey and pull people through, and this was a new concept for her, and she was listening intently, and it, we were going through all this stuff, and she was nodding her head, and, and then she interrupted me, and she said, you know... It really sounds like what you're saying is that whether it's paid or owned or earned, we should really just pivot all of our marketing processes and solely focus on just building a portfolio of remarkable experiences. Oh my and gosh, sort of, no way. And I just and I sort of looked at her and I pulled she had a copy of my book in front of her which she had not opened yet. And I pulled my copy of my book away from her and I said, "You don't need to read this. <laughs> you don't need to you could just you could just skip this book." That's so fantastic. It, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful. So anyway, the article is a nice shout out there and it's and it's just uh, it, it's really good and I wanted to mention and that's my rave for this week. Oh, those are both good. And it's it's rare that we both have raves. Yeah. Uh, and so I have two very quick raves as well. And the one is and we've talked about uh uh, Mr. Kelberg, Felix Kelberg, on here before. Go, knows, oh yes, yep. Known known better as PewDiePie, That's and right. uh, why I'm talking about PewDiePie. Of course, I cover him uh, a little bit in the in the new book Content Inc. as one of the examples. But you know, YouTube channel, um, you know, tuber, uh, Swedish gamer, PewDiePie launches a, this new app, and my both my kids were crazy over it. They spent their own money, their own $5 to buy PewDiePie's app, which they absolutely love and they're both binging on right now. And it's just, and the reason why I talk about this is we just talked about the whole thing about business models and media companies. And here's a individual who has become a media company who has over 40 million subscribers on YouTube and has taken that now into, I think last year made $7.4 million, mostly from advertising sponsorship, but now is going into uh, two different channels. One is I found out, of course he did the app and the app I think was the top paid iphone app of the week i know for sure that was in canada i don't know if it was if it hit uh, u.s soil or not but but selling really really well and and we've uh, we've added to that with the polizzi household it's called it's, <laughs> the video game is called pewdiepie legend of the Brofist. of course no, it, what, no, what other name so what other awesome. name would it be that's such a great available name. on app store and and google play so so felix is the main character in this and goes through all these different it really looks like pokemon is what it, the, the visuals are so a little bit of low tech going on but apparently it's getting fairly good reviews so launch that, and I'm sure already millions of downloads. Uh, have to, I have to believe it because it's just taken off, and it's got a lot of news coverage. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'll put an article in the show notes from TubeFilter. Uh, so they talk nice. about the video game soaring to number one on the app store charts. And then I did, while I was doing research for that, he's launching a book tour. So he's got a new book coming out, launching a book tour, going to sell crazy amounts on his book as well. So it's just interesting that – you know, as as publishers look for you know their business model and how it works, here here's a here's a brand. PewDiePie is this guy's brand, and he's created this audience, and now he's monetizing that audience in multiple different ways. So I just think that's interesting. So that's the one example, and I've just got to give a little shout out for as much hate as we always put on native advertising. I saw this, and I just thought it was an amazing piece of journalism. I'm going to say that. Uh, it's called Cocaineonomics, I think, as I'm saying this right. And it's a joint project from the Wall Street Journal, 
uh, Custom Studios, who's, by the way, uh, full disclosure, is a client of ours, and Netflix. And so I've got two shout-outs specifically. I think this is, by the way, if you go to, and I'll put this in the show notes, if you go to the main landing page for Cocaine Anomics, um, it's basically spelled out in cocaine, and you can actually make lines of cocaine. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So Not that I would know anything about that. I don't know anything about that. anything can actually about that. do that. It's, it's a really interesting interactive. They've got a lot of amazing infographics uh, that are going on, a lot of uh, amazing data. But it's, it's, it's about um, Netflix's new show that's coming out. It's called Narcos. And it's all about. Oh, yeah. It's all about. I've got that. Yeah. All, yeah. It's basically I'm, all about. That's co- on my queue. Yeah. So it basically goes into the history of cocaine trafficking is this whole story. So it it's drawing up interest so that you're interested in the show, which is about cocaine trafficking. So I just think that's really interesting and, and everything. Well, is, they did the other one. They did the other one with the uh, Orange is the New Black. That's exactly with Netflix, right. Which, yeah. So, I mean, hats off to WSJ Custom Studios for doing this, but another hats off for Netflix because Netflix has done multiple projects with multiple pub- publishers on really, really um, in-depth stories uh, to, to – and, and I – you know they're investing some money in native advertising, and they're doing it in a really quality way. And I can't—I do think it can be done in a quality way. And I think this is a really good example of that. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. So hats off to to both of those organizations. For, Love it. I think when I think native advertising can be done well, this is a really uh, this is a partnership between a publisher and a brand, and I, this looks like one of those really good partnerships that worked well. Nice, very nice. Love that. All right. Well, it is time for the namesake segment of our show, This Old Marketing, and I have it this week. Um, and this is a really – this is an interesting one. Um, first of all, hat tip, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mispronounce about nine or 20 of the names that you're about to hear over the next three minutes. Um, but a hat tip to Suresh Babu. Uh, for this, who emailed both uh, Joe and I with this example, who's a listener of the show. And so, Suresh, this is for you. Um, a wonderful example of this old marketing. And boy, you talk about old. I mean, this is, is I mean, this is old. This could be the oldest. This, yeah, well, it's, it's, the the actual content we're going to talk about isn't that old, but the company is what is so old here, which is so interesting. So this is called the House of Miwar, and I'm I will apologize in advance again that if I'm mispronouncing any of these uh, any of these names, but the House of Miwar, which is in India, and it might be easy to say they own hotels or heritage locations for tourism. But they're you know just accurately think them as a tourism company um, because they have like these historic resort hotels and the one and and basically this company is a family owned business that's basically you've probably never heard of them um, they've got twelve hundred personnel employed all over uh, India but mostly uh, in in one particular part and not a lot of people have heard of this but basically. This company has been around since 734 AD. That's right. This family-owned business has been owned by the same family going back 76 generations and still counting. And so there was a documentary done on this on, on this family and the business. Um, there's been all sorts of articles written about them. And what they've really talked about is this idea of how this family has really generated so much longevity in their business of taking care the custodianship as they call it of these hotels these historic areas 
and all of this sort of thing. And basically, they've, they've operated from the same mission statement forever. And it's basically serve your community, your guru, and your god, protect and grow your community, then pass on the same responsibility to the next generation. That's been the same operating mantra for this, uh, this family for 76 generations. And one of them is now listed as the, one of the Forbes 10 richest men in the world. Of course, they're very, 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 very uh, uh, big and very rich business. 14, basically 1,400 years of success uh, later, you could argue, now the product now has morphed, right? So what they sell now, aside from sort of the heritage travel experiences um, over their hotels, is they now sell an instruction manual. This is recent. They now sell content that is now a step-by-step instructional manual for corporate continuity based on this code, this mantra that they've had for this 1,400 years. And it's they, it basically goes through all these best practices for how you can run a business in a successful way. And I just wanted to highlight a couple of the different best practices here. Um, I'll do three of them. One of them of the best practices for how you run a 1,400-year business is you nurture contextual leaders. And they basically say every period of Miwar history has brought its own set of problems, its own opportunity to solve and have creative solutions. Every regime that they've gone through over the last 1,400 years has really been trying to prepare everybody for succession. And so everything they do is about preparing the next generation, the next leader to succeed. That is something that American businesses today just don't even conceive of, is how do we nurture and conceive our next generation of leaders. Two, and you're going to love this one, Joe, find your niche, staunchly guard it, and patiently grow it. Oh, I ju- that's I'm, beautiful. It's just so great. Um, and basically what they talk about is, is the fact that over the last, whatever, 450 years, their marketplace has never exceeded 150 kilometers in either direction. They basically stayed local. And there was every reason for them to expand, And but they found their niche, what they were really good at, and they didn't ever – they staunchly guarded it and patiently grew it. And the last one was, which I really loved, was gift, as in G-I-F-T, like give a present to, gift your enemy. And they tell the story about how um, Sun Tzu and the Art of War wrote about knowing your enemy, but this is basically gifting your enemy where rather than they, – they talk about this story where um, the Muslim king of Malwa attacked the Miwar fortress back uh, you know, uh, 1,400 years ago or whatever it was. He was defeated and taken prisoner, but rather than sort of torture or kill him or anything like that, they basically sent him back home. And treated him as a guest, gave him all these gifts, and sent him home with all these gifts, and basically then generated uh, almost a hundred years of peace in in so doing. And it was basically as competitors were coming into their uh, into their area, their market area. What they would do is is they would gift them, and they would say, "Here are gifts. We welcome you because one, they would contribute to the local economy, basically." all, you know, the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. And they would help pay for all these improvements that the that they wanted to do to the local city and all that kind of stuff. And so basically having competition in their market was actually helpful as they as they viewed it. Just a a really cool story. Um, and uh, and and maybe not, you know, a classic example of this old marketing, but just a wonderful lesson in there for a really old business um, and maybe one of the oldest businesses in the world. 
that is uh, y- it's hard to even imagine a business at all it's, it's it's hard to imagine a, it? well shoot i mean in, in the united states if, if you get to be a 30 40 year old business i mean that's something this is uh that, that they wouldn't even they just they just sniff at that and say oh that that's not even it's, a generation that's going what's yeah, what are you doing here it's seven times older than the United States. Their business is seven times older than the United States. I mean, that's it was crazy. They probably look at us and say, "Those crazy kids." Yeah, they, <laughs> they were. Their business was thriving when there were still basically when uh, before America was even a, a, a thought in anybody's eye back uh, back when Romans were. Oh, it's it's just crazy. It's it's crazy how old that is, but anyway, it's a, just a wonderful example. Wonderful. So, so what's uh, what's the rest of your week look like? My week is here, and I'm in New York for the next two days, um, and then I go back up to Boston on Thursday to speak at um, at a conference, and then I head to Information Development World, where I'm actually keynoting on Friday, um, the conference there, and then thankfully home for the weekend and home for. A little bit of next week, mid next week, I go to Chicago, but home for the weekend, and I'll be, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be well tired by then. There for you sure. go, absolutely. I've got, uh, uh, I'll be in Vegas later this week uh, at Brand Manage Vegas, Camp. Baby, Vegas. I know, I'd be at, at, a, at Brand Manage Camp, so that should be a fun outing. And then, then, oh right, that's this week. That's right, and then, then the travel really starts because then I go to Denver, uh, and I've got I think three speeches in New York and. And then I, I can't even tell you where I'm going to be after that. I can't look too far in, in the future. I'm, I get, I'm with you there because I got to go to Germany and Berlin and Frankfurt, and uh, I'm going. Yeah, home. we know. Yeah, the, the next few podcasts are going to get interesting. So that'll be, it'll be. <laughs> yeah, fun. So stay tuned, folks. Exactly. Because it's we have it's no idea get, what's going to happen or what time it's going to be. But we're going. It's going to be funky town. But we're going to deliver. No doubt. That's about right. It. That is it for this show. Anyway, this is Robert Rose, and for Joe Polizzi, we are signing off. And you know, tweet us up. We do love those story ideas, especially as we're going to be traveling. We would love those story ideas to come flowing on in. Hashtag this old marketing on Twitter. And you know, if you want to send us an email, you can always do that at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 98, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talked about in today will be in the show notes that will be available in the show um, that we publish. And then, of course, on the blog post that we publish on Saturdays and always available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.